Welcome to the Words for Writers podcast, inspiration and instruction for writers. I'm your host, Jenny L. Weitrip, award-winning novelist, writing coach, and editor. Thanks for joining us. So Julie Gwynn, thank you for joining us this morning. You are kicking off my series, Words with Literary Agents, and you were the first in the series, and I am excited to talk with you. Julie Gwynn is Vice Vice President and Agent with the Seymour Agency, and uh, Julie, you and I met uh, during your career in publishing. You were my first uh, marketing person with my debut novel. You led the marketing team and and really spoiled me. <laughs> um, but I'm so grateful for that experience and what I learned from you during that process. So uh, tell our listeners um, a little bit about the Seymour Agency, how you ended up uh, as a literary agent, and your background in publishing. Thanks for having me, and it's just so delightful to see you and talk to you again. It's been too long. Um, I was at B&H Publishing Group and had been promoted to publisher of the fiction line, Pure Enjoyment. And then in a kind of philosophical switch, they decided not to do fiction anymore. So they closed the line. I went to Abingdon, which is the United Methodist Publishing House, for about a year as a marketing manager there, and then left to do agenting. And it's it's funny because I actually have some authors with me that... I had been working with at B&H, so, and I love that. Uh, I love um, having worked with them kind of on both sides of the fence. So the Seymour Agency has about nine agents right now. It was started with Mary Sue Seymour, who was very well known in the Christian publishing industry and passed away from liver cancer a couple of years ago. So Nicole Resaniti is the president, I'm the vice president, and then we have, I think, seven or so other agents that work with us. Wow. Big agency. It is big. Yes. Neat. So um, you were working in the inspirational or Christian marketplace and um, have transitioned to, as an agent, working in both the Christian and the general marketplace. One of the questions that I'm asked most often as a writing coach is, uh, you know, from aspiring authors who are seeking traditional publication, where should they seek representation with a general market agent or with a, an agent in the Christian marketplace? Can you discuss a little bit about the differences in the marketplace and, what determining factors would um, inform a decision like that for an author? Absolutely. It's a difficult decision, actually, because it feels like even in the six years or so that I've been an agent, the line has blurred considerably. When the Christian fiction industry was really going strong, the big five decided they want to get into inspirational publishing. And instead of starting their own imprint, they just ended up buying Christian publishers. So what was Thomas Nelson is now HarperCollins Christian Publishing. Um, 
and and so on and so on. So each of the big five now has its own inspirational imprint. And a lot of times there is that passing along of property. So if something comes in to an inspirational editor and they love the voice, they love the platform, they feel like it's a very, um, I, I guess, valuable piece of property, but not quite inspirational enough, they can pass it along to the general market editors and vice versa. If a general market editor gets something that's a little bit more inspirational, they can pass it along as well. Kind of like Harlequin. You know, Harlequin has Love Inspired, which is the inspirational kind of uh, lines that they have. The same kind of thing where they can go back and forth uh, between editors depending on the uh, faith element within the content. So it really doesn't have to be an either or for publishing, and it really doesn't have to be an either or for agenting. Um, I will say that contracts and uh, competition on the general market side is a little bit different than it is on the inspirational side, because it it seems like it's a wider, deeper pool. So um, it's a little bit harder to get noticed. It's a little bit more difficult to get placed as um, an inspirational author on the general market side. And I've actually, Jenny, have had a couple of authors that were published on the Christian side. And when I sold them on the general market side, the general market editor wanted them to have a pen name to draw a differentiation between their Christian audience and what might be their general market audience, even though there wasn't a big deal or difference in readers. Uh, They just wanted that kind of clear line of delineation um, for the author starting out. So interesting. Yeah, it's, there's a lot to kind of navigating both sides Um, for authors as an agent, when they come to me, part of my job is to evaluate where do I think this will fit? You know, where is the best publishing house, who's the best editor. And um, for the most part, the big five that I mentioned that are now kind of involved in, you know, the inspirational publishing are looking for crossover content. They're looking for content that has maybe a faith element, but could also be positioned and sold to general market readers as well. And I guess it's because it's just a wider audience pool. You know, they don't want to box themselves in. So they want to make it appealing to as many people as possible, if that makes sense. So that's called crossover. Yeah. Interesting. So one of the, maybe this is fact, maybe this is myth. I'll let you, (laughs) uh, your expertise determine that. But one of the things that um, I hear from, from clients that is a concern is if I decide I want to publish in the general marketplace, are general market publishers going to require things in my manuscript that I'm not comfortable with? So for instance, if I write a romance novel, are they going to want uh, sex scenes that maybe I'm not comfortable writing? Or is there going to be a request for language that I'm not comfortable with? Myth? Truth? Myth. 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 And it's because um, like Harlequin has so many lines 
Entangled has so many imprints. Um, HarperCollins, Hachette, Simon & Schuster. And a lot of them are based on heat level. A lot of them are based on um, a graphic nature of violence. So in other words, there's kind of a spectrum within all the genres. So if you like to write romance that is a closed bedroom scene, right? So you don't get to go into the bedroom to see what's going on. It's just they kiss and then you break away to the next kind of they're, you know, having coffee or or something like that. Right. Um, There are general market publishers looking for that sweet type of romance, closed bedroom scene. Um, They are not going to force you to put anything in um, that you would be uncomfortable with. They would just say, I'm looking for steamier. I'm looking for more violence. You know, I'm looking for something a little bit grittier. So your book is not a fit for my line. Um, they, it's, it's interesting. What they will do though, is they may take out scripture, you know, prayers, things sure. of that nature, where they feel like it could be off-putting mm-hmm. to a general market reader. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to pray. You know, it's okay to have a relationship with God, but we're not necessarily going to include prayers or include scripture. So there, there's more a tendency to maybe take out some of that than there is to try to force authors to put in. Interesting. Great. Thank you for addressing that. Okay. So I skipped over. I very much want to know and want our listeners to know as an agent, what are you looking for? What do you represent? And um, not only what are you looking for in terms of a manuscript, but what are you looking for in terms of an author? What's your ideal author look like? Great questions. Um, and and my list kind of changes depending mm-hmm. on, um, you know, the needs in the marketplace right now, as you know, uh, a contract signed today, the book won't come out for, you know, 12 to 18 months. And COVID has even pushed that a little bit further along. So an old publisher friend of mine said it used to be like legalized gambling, trying to guess what was going to be on trend 12 to 18 months from now. But I, I stick with those that I feel like are always in demand, uh, romance, both contemporary and historical. Um, I love women's fiction, uh, which is why I loved your books, um, books that kind of cross the line too between what's real and what's fiction, um, drawing from personal experiences, but then fictionalizing it. I love that. Uh, I like fantasy um, and speculative, um, suspense and mystery, but I don't do... And this is where, even though I'm doing general market, I'm still kind of within my same comfort zone. I don't do erotic. I don't do steamy. I don't do horror. Um, so I've, I've really, I haven't changed what I'm accepting as far as content um, in that regard. I'm just looking for maybe a broader storyline that might appeal to general market within those same parameters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as an author, I love authors that are prolific, um, primarily because you can't guarantee that that first book that you sign is going to sell. So I always like to know what other projects are they working on? 
what idea file do they have? Um, I have an author who has an idea Bible. And so after we have conversations with editors, I'll, I'll call her and be like, hey, you know, they want a, a YA vampire, you know, book. Do you happen to have one of those? And more than likely, she probably does. Wow. And so we'll kind of move that to the top of the pile. Um, so I love authors that have a lot of ideas and a lot of projects, a lot of irons in the fire, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's a great. What about platform numbers? How important is a platform? You also represent nonfiction, correct? Okay. So platform we know is important for nonfiction authors, but it's also plays a role now for fiction authors. So are there magic numbers you look for? We have been told by some on the nonfiction side that 50,000 across platforms is kind of a good number for nonfiction. And so that would include e-newsletter list. It would include uh, all your social media, uh, website subscribers, um, maybe even eyeballs if you're a speaker, you know, and are speaking to different uh, groups throughout the year. For fiction, it's not as important. We've also been told by publishers that only about 10% of your followers are actually probably going to buy your book. So when they look at your platform numbers, say it's, you know, and I hate math. So you're yeah. going to have to help me here. So Don't we all, got, <laughs> I know. So if you've got 10,000 followers, let's say across all your social media platforms, they're expecting 10% of that. So about a thousand, right. Would actually purchase your book. Um, what's more important recently are e-newsletter mm-hmm. numbers, because they feel like if if people have committed to give you their email, they've opted in, that they're more engaged and probably more targeted audience than just throwing things out on social media. Plus, the algorithms are changing so much that it's hard even to find your, your audience anymore. And I almost feel like Facebook and them are doing it on purpose so you have to buy ads yes. to, you know, to find your audience. But it's 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 very difficult. Um, so those are kind of some numbers and some parameters that we're hearing from publishers. Do you ever come across a manuscript where the author doesn't have the platform numbers? So this would be more nonfiction that you're willing to consider even though they're not there yet. That's a great question. I think what can offset low platform numbers is endorsers. Mm-hmm. Um, on the nonfiction side, if they've got endorsers from within, let's say, a psychology community or the um, religion community or health and fitness community, whatever kind of topic they're talking about, then I can talk to publishers and factor in that person's platform numbers, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I have an author, Nordin Zureg. He has a book, Inner Fitness. And um, he's at um, Miraval Resort in Arizona, but he had a um, national um, surgeon general as an endorser. And so we were able to kind of say, as he's going to be helping to promote, adding those two numbers, those two platform numbers together. So that would be a way to kind of offset lower numbers of your own. 
Interesting. Well, that makes sense. Yep. So. Absolutely. And it's, it's kind of a way around it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I'll work with an author and say, I love this concept, but here's what you need to do to build your platform and keep in touch. And let's see where you are six months from now. And, you know, kind of put it back on them to build their platform to make them more attractive to a publisher. Neat. So with your background in marketing, I heard you teach a marketing workshop at a writer's conference um, right after I signed with B&H and it blew me away. I still remember things from that workshop. Uh, so you have such a strong knowledge um, and skill in that arena. How does that come into play or does it working as an agent? Um, I'll let you That's, answer before I yeah, that is my assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic question. And not every agent does that. Yeah. Every agent kind of has their own strengths and weaknesses because I was a publisher, you know, I'm an editing agent. And because I have, you know, 30 years of marketing, I'm also a marketing agent. I have kind of the opinion that getting that first contract is fantastic, but if you don't have great sell-through, you may not get a second contract. So I come along beside the author. We do a social media audit of kind of who's the target audience for their project. And if it's, you know, younger people, but they're spending all their time on Facebook, then we need to adjust and maybe pull back and put them on TikTok instead. Mm -hmm. um, we look at helping to build a new newsletter, uh, an editorial calendar for them for content creation, uh, contests you know, all the stuff that you've here heard me talk yeah. about before um, to really kind of engage online because I, I feel like it's part of my job. Like after the contract is done, some agents are like, thank you, see you when it's time for book two. But I, I really feel like to help an author grow as an author and move up even from mid-list maybe to a big five publisher, it's kind of my job to partner with them to get that done. And so I really do get involved probably more than I should on the marketing side, but I love it. And I, I really feel like it helps them in their career trajectory. Sure. Well, that's a benefit uh, for your clients, definitely, because you're passionate about that. You can lead them in that direction. So that's a gift. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I, well, and you know, I enjoy it. Yeah. You know, the, and I do a brown bag lunch quarterly with all of my authors on Zoom. Oh, neat. Where I'll, you know, bring in statistics or new things, or I'll have a guest speaker, but really just to bring them together to share what each one of them is doing. And it, it's just a big idea pile. You know, what blogs are working? Does a blog tour work? What about street teams? You know, um, who can we tap for endorsements? just all of it. Um, and they really just kind of feed off of each other that way. Yeah. Oh boy. That's neat. That, that community and networking together with other authors is so, so valuable. So facilitating that for your authors is great. Yeah. I, I love watching it happen. I kind of start oh, the ball rolling and then sit back and watch. And I learn something <laughs> too, uh, just about every time. Oh, fun. That's neat. 
Okay. So talk about a little bit about independent publishing versus traditional publishing. Um, so many opportunities are available to authors now in terms of uh, independent publishing and more and more of us are dipping our toe in that world. What do you think? Well, let's let's talk a little bit about terms. So traditional publishing is where a publisher pays in advance or takes over all of the production and then they take a percentage of the royalties. Independent publishing, I think of all the indie publishers that are out there where they still, they, they'll pay for the production of the book, but you don't necessarily get an advance. And we've seen some of those models that are even uh, shared risk models where um, you'll go in and, and you'll split the proceeds 50-50 after expenses. And we've seen a lot of different types of business models. So are you thinking self-pub versus traditional pub? Yeah, there's so many terms, right? Self-publishing, hybrid publishing, indie. Yeah, I think one of the things that I observe in the writing world is oftentimes an author will decide they are going to self-publish. They're going to take their manuscript, self-publish it. They're anxious to get it out there. Their, Their hope is that then down the road, they can traditionally publish. So when you get an author who has come to you and they have self-published and their sales numbers are low, what does that do? Does that have an impact on your decision whether of whether or not you might represent them or of a publisher's decision? That's a really good question. A lot of times it, it's not a negative, but where it would be a positive is if you had great sales. Yeah. So we've seen some publishers take projects off of Wattpad because they've had, you know, millions of views. Um, That doesn't necessarily translate into book sales because of the different uh, model there where people are reading it for free versus. And with self-publishing, I think traditional publishers don't even really count it. They, They just feel like, okay, this is nice, you know, pat on the head, you know, good job. Um, But it really is so very different from what they do and the distribution and the marketing and the machine that's behind traditional publishing, that it really isn't a negative. Now, I will say that when people come to me and say, I've already self-published this, would you take this specific project on? The answer is no. And it's because publishers when they look at authors again to sell, right? They're hoping that you're going to sell to your tribe, your influencers, your friends, your family. And if it's already been out there, self-pubbed, then those sales are gone. They're they're not going to buy another one just because it has a different cover on it. So for those who have self-published and come to me with a new project, absolutely, I'll take it on. Um, And so will publishers. That's not a negative. But to try to get me to take on the self-published, they've got that one project, they've already put it out there, and now they realize how hard it is, and now they want an agent to take it to a publisher, um, pretty much across the board, from every agent I know, the answer is no. Yeah, that's good to know. Good to know. So, 
thank you so much. Um, I am so appreciative of your time and your knowledge. And I know my listeners will be as well. Uh, it is, it's rare to get 30 minutes with an agent. So uh, that's very valuable and I'm appreciative. So thank you very, very much. And um, I look forward to um, introducing you to my listeners Tell them where they can find you and what your submission guidelines are and anything else you would like to share about your process. Well, at first, I can't believe it's been 30 minutes. I can talk to you all day. (laughs) I know. Come on. I'm just getting started. (laughs) Well, you can keep going. I'm good with that, but (laughs) I do respect your time. So, (laughs) Well, for anybody looking for an agent, they really should go to Query Tracker or Query Manager. Um, you're able to really look for agents who represent the type of project that you're trying to get placed. I'm on Query Manager. Um, I'm also, if you go on Twitter, the hashtag MS, no, yes, MSWL, Manuscript Wish List. Oh, okay. Yes, if you go on Twitter and do hashtag uh, MSWL and put like A for adult, you'll find agents coming up that are looking for adult contact or NF. I mean, there's a lot of those little um, abbreviations you have to learn. Um, There's also Twitter pitch parties. There's one today, you know, kiss pitch, which is all romance. So I would suggest looking at those places and um, also on agents' websites. But if you go on Twitter, you can see who's participating in Twitter pitches and then just kind of do your research that way. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. um, I'm on Query Manager. And then they can go to our submission guidelines on our website at theseymouragency.com. Usually it's a query letter and five pages just so we can kind of get a taste for the project. Good. I will link to all of those in the show notes so uh, listeners can find you and... um, So thank you so, so much. Great to talk with you. Great to talk to you too, Jenny. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. For show notes, links, and resources for writers, visit wordsforwriters.net.